0: Check, baby, check, baby, one, two. Check, baby, check, baby, check. Hip-hop, hooray! Ho! Hey! Ho! Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Huh. Check, 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 check. (laughs) Nope, too high. Way too high. Way too much gain on that one. Uh... Hello? Hello? I don't know which one's the out. Check, 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 check. Check, 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 check. Check, 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 check. I don't know what how's out. Check, baby, check, baby, one, two, three. All right, whatever. Hip hop, hooray, ho, hey, ho. Or a minute into this bizotch, that was—that was odd. Turn off air mode. Airplane. Turn on airplane mode. check, baby, check, baby, one. God is good and God cares Which is good cause I don't 1, 2. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm getting a ring. Cut. <clears throat> Gonna cut down the monitors. Monitors! Check. All right. Boop. Boop. All right. Turn your Bibles to Nahum. All right, that's good. Check, baby, check, baby. One, two, three. Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5, says this Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning in a spirit of praise and worship. Lord, we are going through a difficult time as a society and a challenging time as a church. God, it's, it's easy in this time to focus on the negatives, to focus on the problems That we are facing. But Lord, we we don't want to do that. Lord, we want to focus on you and your goodness. Lord, as the psalmist says, Lord, we want to bless you. Lord, we want everything in us to bless you. And so Lord, we submit to you this morning. We submit to your plans. We submit to your authority. We submit to your will for this situation. Lord, In the middle of this crisis, help us not to forget all the benefits that you give us as your children. We praise you and we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, there is nothing that we could ever do to earn it, but you freely give forgiveness to us when we seek it. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, you heal our diseases and we believe and trust that you are working now to heal this disease that has put our lives on hold. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your redemption, for your loving kindness, for your mercy. Lord, we praise you and thank you for satisfying our every need. God, in the midst of this turmoil, you are good. You are loving. You are continuing to bless us. And Lord, we want to remember that and praise you for that. Help us now, Father, as we open your word. Help us to receive comfort. Help us to receive a blessing and learn powerful truth to keep us stable in these uncertain times. Lord, though we meet differently than we typically do, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be with every believer who is watching or listening now. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort every heart, I pray that you would give wisdom to every believer. I pray, God, that you would show us truth from your word to give us comfort and strength and peace and change us into your image. Lord, I also pray for those who are watching who are not believers, those who do not know you as their savior. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict their heart during the message, God, and help them to see their need of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Speak through me this morning. Lord, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I need something there to keep that from moving. Hip hop, hooray! Oh, hey! Oh. <clears throat> one, two. One of my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer. And one of his books that I thoroughly enjoy is called Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, It's a very short book, but it's a powerful book that teaches about the character of God. And one of the Actually, the very first line of this book is my favorite Tozer quote. You've heard me say it before, but here's the, the beginning of that book. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What he's saying there is that our understanding and our knowledge of God is the most important thing in our life. Your bank account is not the most important thing about you. Your career is not the most important thing about you. Your health is not the most important thing about you. Your family, your house, the car you drive, none of these things are the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what you think about God because there will be moments in your life where God's all you have, where your money's failed, your family's left, your health is gone, and the only thing you have to cling to is God. So what you think about Him in those moments will determine whether you get through them or not. And we're going through such a time as that in our world today. A lot of normal things about our life have been upset, things that we, we base our, our stability and security on. A lot of folks are, are out of work right now. Uh, they've lost their job because of this virus. They're uh, forced to stay home because of this virus. Kids are out of school. Seniors won't be able to enjoy their prom or uh, go de- walk, walk the aisle uh, at their graduation. Weddings have been postponed. A lot of things that we have done in our normal, everyday lives that give us stability and give us security, they're gone. And we're left to ourselves. We're left to our thoughts, and we're left to our God. And in those moments, Tozer says, the most important thing about your life is what you know about God. So I wanna ask you a question. What comes to your mind when I say the name God When I say God what do you think about What do you imagine What do you know about him The problem with most believers is that their knowledge and understanding of God begins and ends with John 3:16 Now John 3:16 is probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible and it's an incredible verse that tells us the character of God, the power of God, gives us some incredible theology. And we all know the verse. We could probably quote it together. So let's, let's do that right now. Let's say John 3, 16 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great verse, and we, we learn a lot about God in that verse. We, we learn of God's love. For God so loved the world. And it's easy to say, well, that's talking about the world and everyone in it. But if you look at the original Greek, it is in the singular form, which means God is saying that he loves each and every person. God so loved me. God so loved you. God so loved us that he sent his only son to do for us what we could not do. Of in the Garden of Eden, man was separated from God when Adam and Eve fell. When they disobeyed God and took the forbidden fruit, sin entered into the world, and man was cast out and separated from God. And since that day, so many thousands of years ago, man has been separated from God, but God has been separated from man, and God loves us. So God, before anything ever started, before the world was ever formed, he had a plan in place to reestablish that relationship that was lost in the garden. He knew that for us to be able to get back to him, we would have to have a perfect life, and we never could. That's what the Old Testament law was about. The Old Testament law was never meant to make, never meant to make us righteous or make us holy. It was meant to show us that we never could be righteous. We never could be holy. And God was saying, if you want to be as righteous as you need to be, you have to perfectly fulfill every aspect of the law, and no one ever could. So God took on flesh and became a man. And God did what we could not do. He perfectly fulfilled the law, lived a perfectly sinless life, but he died on the cross for my sins. As he hung on the cross, the wrath of God for all of humanity's sin was poured out on him because all of humanity's sin was placed on him and he died for you and he died for me and he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but praise the Lord, three days later, he rose again, proving to everyone that he was God and redeeming us to God the Father. And that's what John three sixteen tells us that God loves us so much that He sent His Son to get us. He sent His Son to do for us what we could not do. And all we have to do to have redemption with the Father, to be adopted into the family of God, to restore that relationship is believe on Him. Believe that He is who He says He is and believe that He did what He said He did. And whoever believes on Him will have everlasting life. That is an incredible statement about God's love and God's power and God's character. And it's an incredible reality about God, but it's just one verse in the Bible. The Bible is filled with thousands of verses that teach us about God, that teach us about his character and his power and his, his preeminence and everything about him. And too many of us, we spend all of our time focusing on that one verse verse. Now that verse, it teaches us the incredible reality about God. It teaches us the core of the gospel and the gospel is what makes it possible for us to know God, to have a relationship with God, to fellowship with God. But once we know him, God desires for us to continue to grow in our knowledge of him, to continue to deepen our relationship with him. In the book of Colossians, Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and it was a church filled with new believers, people who had been saved and had accepted Christ as their Savior. They began this new relationship with God, and they didn't know what to do after that. They had no idea where to go. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them, to teach them, to disciple them, to help them grow in their relationship with God. And look what he says in verse number 9 of the first chapter of Colossians. He says, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, what did they hear of? They heard of their faith in Christ. He had heard that they had put put their belief in Jesus and they had begun a relationship with God. He says, since I heard of that, since I've heard of your conversion, here's what I've done. He says, I do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, since he heard about these new believers' conversion, he began praying and did not stop praying that they would grow in their knowledge and their relationship with God. So, why is knowing God so important besides just knowing Him for salvation? Here's what Tozer said. He said, The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. It is our understanding of God. It is our knowledge of God that grounds us in difficult situations, that gives us a foundation in challenging times. And the more you know about God the more you can trust God in the unknown circumstances of your life. The Bible tells us that our God is a God of promises. And as you grow in your knowledge of God, as you grow in your relationship with God, you see that He is a God of promises. And the good thing about God is the promises of God never change, and the promises of God are always kept. Last week we began looking at some of these promises of God that we can cling to uh during unshake during shakable t- shaking times. So we are unshakable during these changing times of life. And these promises, they, they deepen our knowledge of God and they help us grow in a relationship with Him. And these promises are not based on our performance. They're not based on whether we could earn them or deserve them. They are based on His unchanging relationship with His children because they are in Christ. Every promise of God is mine. Because I belong to Him through Christ. And so, we've been looking at these promises. And today, we're going to look in a section of Scripture that's probably unfamiliar to a lot of us. It's probably a section of Scripture that uh, most of us have never been to before. It's the book of Nahum. And I know what you're thinking. Nahum is a real book. So, if you're on your tablet or your phone, you can just go to your, your search bar in your Bible app and type in N-A-H and it'll take you to Nahum. But if you have a regular Bible like this, just go to the book of Matthew and flip backwards, six books, and you'll come to the book of Nahum. <coughs> and Nahum is one of the minor prophets. It's right between Micah and Habakkuk. As so this morning, as we continue to look at these promises, let's look at one verse in Nahum chapter 1. That's verse number 7. The Bible says, The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Man, that's a great promise, isn't it? God's good. God's our stronghold. God knows them that trust in him. And this promise, it's a a threefold promise we're going to look at this morning. Here's the first part of that promise. God is now, if you're like me, when you read that verse, the first thing that jumped out to you was the phrase, The Lord is good. And I was, I was excited to jump into the truth that God is good. But to get to the truth that God is good, I would have to jump over this truth that the Lord is. That is a powerful statement. As you look at this verse, you'll notice that the word Lord is in all caps. Whenever you come to that in Hebrew scripture, the Lord, the word Lord in all caps is significant. The Hebrew language, there are several Hebrew words that we translate into our English word Lord. And they mean different things. But when you you come to it and it's all capitalized, it's not just a regular Hebrew word. It's what the Old Testament Jews called the divine name. It is the name of God in English. We pronounce it as Jehovah or Yahweh, Uh, but it's the Hebrew name of God. And theologians are not really sure how to accurately pronounce this name. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament Jews were so concerned with violating the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain that they would not say His name because they were scared of mispronouncing it. They wouldn't even write His name because they were scared of getting one of the, the marks wrong and dishonoring God or violating that commandment. So they came up with a word that meant the name of God, and that's the word Yahweh. But the name of God is the primary meaning, it comes from a root word that simply means to be. And theologians believe that the primary meaning of the name of God, the divine name, is to talk about the eternal nature of God. In fact, the, in the original Hebrew translation of this verse where it says the Lord is, the word is, is even part of the sentence. It's wrapped up in the word Lord. The name of God it, that is the name of God that he is. This proper name of God reminds us that God is, God always has been, and God always will be. It's the name that God told Moses when Moses met him in the wilderness. We know the story of Moses. Moses, of course, born as a Hebrew slave in captivity, but he was supposed to be killed, but his mother hides him away. And finally, he's discovered, but he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and he's raised in Pharaoh's house. At 40 years of age, he understands that he's a Hebrew and he, he's burdened for his people and he wants to do something to help get them out of this slavery that they're in. So he tries to take matters in his own hands and he, he ends up killing an Egyptian guard. He hides the body and he thinks he got away with it, but the next day he's talking to some slaves trying to break up a fight and they remind him that he killed someone, so he knows this is known. Pharaoh's looking for him, so he, he flees for his life. He flees to Midian on the backside of the desert, and for 40 years, he's a shepherd. He's gone from being raised in the palace to he's herding goats in the desert. One day, he's out herding goats, and he sees a bush burning, which wasn't uncommon, the bushes of the plant were so dry and it was so hot that they would often burst into flames, but they didn't burn very long. They burned out very quickly, but this one wasn't. This one continued to burn and wasn't consumed, so it, it kind of drew his attention. He, as he walks up to it, God speaks to him out of the bush. It says, Moses, take your shoes off. The place you are at is in holy ground. And so Moses takes his shoes off, humbles himself before God, and God begins to tell Moses God's plan to use Moses to deliver Israel out of captivity. And Moses comes up with every excuse why he can't. He's too busy. He can't talk right. He doesn't really know what to say. And finally he goes, okay, God, say I go there and I, I go to the Israelite leaders and say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they, the, he sent me here to deliver you and to lead you out of captivity. They're going to ask what God sent you. What's his name? And, and I don't know what to tell them. So when they ask, who sent you? What am I supposed to say? And here's what God said in Exodus chapter three. He said, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. That little phrase there, I am that I am, it's a double repetition of that Hebrew word that is the name of God. So what God is saying here is when they, when they ask who sent you, Say, I am sent you. That's that's the name of God. And it speaks of his eternal nature. It reminds us that God always has been and always will be. But it also reminds us of God's eternal presence with us. There's never been a time that God wasn't. And there's never been a time in your life where God was not with us. But eternity Eternity is an odd concept for us. Uh, we don't really understand what eternity truly means. When most of us think of eternity, we think of something that has no end. It goes on forever. Like when I was a kid, there was a, a movie, The Never-Ending Story. And I, it was a good movie. I loved that movie. Unfortunately, it did end. Uh, and as I've watched it as an adult, I've realized it's, it's kind of a weird movie. But uh, I love that movie, but it, it had an ending. But we think never. We think of eternity. We think of never-ending. It just it goes on forever and ever and ever. But that's not eternity. See, eternity means that yes, there is no ending, but there's also no beginning. There's no beginning, and no end. It's like what God said in Revelation: "I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end." And so eternity means there is no beginning. And there is no end, and there's no word we could use to describe God besides eternity. God always has been, and God always will be. We even see in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 1, where God's creating everything, the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Before anything began, God was there. And our, our finite minds just can't wrap our brains around that. There has never been a time where God was not. God always is. He exists outside the parameters of time. That means he sees all of time at the same time. There is nothing that ever has happened or nothing that ever will happen that God didn't know was going to happen. He sees everything all At once. That means that the circumstances we're going through right now in our society, they're not unique. They're not new to God. The circumstances you're going through in your life, they're not unique. They're not new to God. God has seen everything. Just look through the Bible. Look through history. There's been pestilence. There's been plague. There's been famine. There's been wars. There's been economic collapse. And God has seen it all. And God has sustained his people through it all. His power, his presence, his provision, his protection has always been with his people through every circumstance they've ever faced. But not only has God sustained his people through it all, he has carried them out victorious through it. Our God is. That's a promise that you can cling to when the circumstances are of life are changing, that's a promise that gives us peace. God is. But there's a second part to this promise. God is good. It's one thing that God is, but it's even better that he is good. Our eternal, our ever-present God is a good God. And, and goodness isn't just something he does Goodness is part of his nature. It is who he is. Tozer said this, that God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of faith as impregnable as the throne of God. As sure as God is God, God is good. And as certain as we are that he is God, we are equally certain that he is good. Another aspect of The divine name of God not only speaks of His eternal existence, but it speaks of His unchanging nature. God never changes. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. So who the God is in the Bible is the same God we have today. The same power, the same provision, the same promises, the same blessings we see in the Bible that they receive from their God is the same God we serve and we can receive today. He is always the same God. He never changes. Miller Erickson said this, says, what we are dealing with here is the dependability of God. He will be the same tomorrow as he is today. He will act as he promised. Since God is unchanging, he has never been any more good than he is right now, and he will never be any less good than he is right now. He is who he is, and he is good. God is always good. What what should our response be to the goodness of God? Very simple. Trust God. Because he is good, Trust Him. Now that's easy to say. It sounds really spiritual. But what does trusting God actually look like lived out in our lives? Well, first of all, trusting God means knowing God. In John chapter 17, Jesus said this, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. You know, Jesus said that eternal life isn't going to God, heaven when you die. He said eternal life is knowing God. And that word know there in the Greek, it's a, it's a word that speaks of intimate knowledge. It's the same word that's used to describe how a husband knows a wife. It is a deep, intimate, personal knowledge. This isn't just knowing about God. It is knowing God personally. It is knowing God deeply. It is knowing God daily. You cannot trust someone that you do not know. In order to trust to trust God, we have to make an effort to get to know God. Well, how do we get to know God? We we learn about God through how he has revealed himself through his word. The Bible shows us God's faithfulness. The Bible shows us God's love. The Bible shows us God's provision. The Bible shows us God's protection. The Bible shows us God's mercy. The Bible shows us God's grace. The Bible shows us God's sovereignty. We get to know God through learning about Him through His Word. By getting to know Him in His Word, we can see that he is always in control, and He always has our best in mind so we can trust Him. Trusting God means knowing God. But secondly, trusting God means listening to God. John eight forty seven, he that is of God hears God's word. Think about back to when you met your spouse. Or if you're not married, think about the perfect date, the perfect guy, the perfect girl. You meet them at Starbucks, obviously not during a quarantine, but you see them at Starbucks or Target or the movies, wherever you're at and about you, you see them, they catch your eye and you, you build up enough courage to talk to them. Or maybe they come over and talk to you and kings kind of spark and you kind of like each other. And so you go out on a date. When you go out on the date, they spend most of the date telling you about themselves Talking about themselves, their their desires, their dreams, their hopes, their problems. And then it's your turn to talk. And as soon as you start talking, they stop listening. They get on their phone, they're looking through Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're watching YouTube videos, they're texting other people, they're calling people on the phone, they see a friend across the restaurant and wave them and talk to them and just completely ignore you. How long will that relationship last? If your spouse did that on your first date, how long would your relationship have lasted? Well, you probably wouldn't be their spouse right now. And if it's your date, you probably wouldn't give them a second date. Because communication is foundational to relationship. And listening is foundational to communication. We can't trust God if we don't ever listen to God. And so as we grow in our knowledge of God through his word, we have to begin to listen to God through prayer. Prayer may be hard at first, especially if you've never really done it or you're not used to it. But prayer is spiritual communication. It cannot be rushed. Don't rush into it and, and don't rush through it. Take your time. Be silent. Listen for God to speak and then talk to Him. I've told folks in our church on Wednesday night Bible studies, one thing I've been doing for the last several years is when I go to pray, I have my prayer list like most of us do. I have the the people I pray for regularly. I pray for our church leadership regularly. I pray for our church as a whole. I pray for them individually throughout the, the month. I'll pray through the church registry and pray for all of our people. Some of them who are sick a little bit more, dealing with a little bit more problems, I'll pray for them a little more specifically or a little more regularly. I pray for lost souls to be saved. I have needs for, that I, for the church that I pray for. I have my lists, but before I ever get to my list, I simply go to God and I say, God, I'm honored to be in your presence but Lord, I want to I talk about what's on your heart. And I allow God to speak to me. I'm quiet for a while, and I allow God to bring to my mind and my heart the things he wants me to pray about. Sometimes it takes a minute to do. Sometimes it takes 15 minutes. But God has revealed some incredible things to me in those moments of silence where I'm listening to him talk. Too many of us, what we'll do is we'll pray and we'll even, we'll even go to God for something we need an answer for. God, I need an answer for this. Amen. And then we never listen to God give, to give us the answer. I guess we expect Him to mail it to us or send us a text message or just happen magically. But we ask God for an answer and then never wait for the answer. You know, the Bible says that we should study to be silent. When you go to God, take some time and just, just listen. And after you've listened for a while, then you talk. Then you pour your heart out to God. You pour your complaint before the throne of grace because it's a safe place and God wants to hear you. But persevering in prayer is vital to seeing God move in our lives. And it means praying even when you don't want to. It is coming before God in faith, believing and trusting that he hears you and he answers you. But thirdly, trusting God also means believing God Romans 8 28 another verse we probably all know and we know that all things work together for good that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose by knowing God and listening to God through prayer we can take that final step of believing God believing that all things do work together for good that means what we're going through now will work together for good It's simple in theory, but it's it's hard to live out. You know, The root of all of our doubt, the root of all of our insecurity, the root of all of our anxiety comes down to one question. Can I really believe God? It's the same question Eve had to ask herself in the garden when Satan tempted her. When he came and said, did God really say that if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die? And Eve had to ask herself do I believe God or do I believe this lie? And of course she believed the lie. But if we are diligently seeking to know God and we are listening to his heart, we can, then we can rebuke the lies of the enemy. We can choose to believe God and take him at his word, trusting that he will do what he promises to do. God's promises are for us. We get to believe them. We get to hold on to them. We get to trust God. When everyone around us is affected by pain and suffering, our foundation is in the goodness of God. His presence is our peace. He is the most trustworthy being we could ever find, and he is truly an anchor for our soul. God is good, and you can trust him. But here's the third part of that promise we saw back in Nahum chapter 1. God is good and he cares. Look back at Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 again. The Lord is good, strong in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Now this Hebrew word knoweth, it literally means to know by relationship and to care for someone because of that relationship. Because of your relationship with God, God cares for you. He cares about what you're facing. He cares about the events that we're dealing with. He cares about the struggles that you face. He cares about your anxieties and worries. He cares about every aspect of your life. God cares about you. We even see this in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God cares for you. God is watching over you. God is with you, and God is involved in your life right now. I know that these times feel very lonely. Right now, as I preach this message, I'm not preaching to anyone, I'm in an empty auditorium. I'm preaching to a camera. I've never done that before. It's a little odd. It's a little lonely. But I'm not alone. Because God says, He's always with me. That means you're not alone. I don't know if you're who you're watching this with. You may be watching it by yourself. But you're not alone. The good God who cares for you is with you. He is aware of what you're facing. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, The Lord of lords, the great I am, cares what you're going through. And he's involved in what you're facing. God is. God is good. And God cares for you. And because of all that, we can trust him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would allow these truths from your word To change us, to comfort us, to strengthen us for what we're facing. Lord, help us to to know you more now than we did a little bit ago. Help this knowledge draw us closer to you. Help us trust you more. Lord, I, I pray for your children that are watching and Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would help them to trust you more than they ever have before. But Lord, I also pray for those who don't know you as their Savior. I pray that they would begin to know you and finally put their trust in you. As all of God's children continue to pray, I just want to speak to those this morning who may not know Christ as their Savior. As I was preaching, you you didn't know the God I was talking about. You're not saved and you're not sure that you're saved and you have no idea who God is. John 3.16 is the whole story of the Bible. God loves you and he loves you so much he sent his son to do what you could not do for yourself so you could know him today. So you could have a relationship with him today. And here's the good news, it doesn't matter where you came from doesn't matter what your past is. doesn't matter what your your, your background is or, or what you've done with your life. No matter where you are or where you've come from, God loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for your sins on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, He wasn't dying for His sins. He had none. He was dying for my sins and your sins. As He hung on that cross... My sin and your sins and everyone's sins were placed on him and God poured out his wrath against sin on his son and Jesus shed his blood and died in our place. He paid the sin debt that we owed God, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, proving to everyone that he is God and that the sacrifice has been paid. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, on his finished work on the cross, when you turn from your sins and turn to him, the God who is, the God who is good and the God who cares becomes your heavenly father. You become part of his family and these promises are guaranteed for you. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to pray and lead you in a prayer, and you just pray that prayer in your heart. Now, there's there's no power in the prayer. The prayer is just you acknowledging to God and yourself that you believe that you were a sinner who was condemned to hell with no hope of escape. That you believe your sin was going to condemn you to a life, an eternity separated from God with no chance of ever getting out of it. But God loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you, to be buried for you, to rise again for you, to reconcile you to God the Father. It's just you vocalizing in your heart that you believe God is who he says he is and Jesus has done what he said he did. So I'll pray and If you really want to accept Christ as your Savior, just say this prayer to you in your heart. You can say it out loud. You can say it however you want to, but just say this prayer to God. Pray, Lord, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there's nothing I could ever do to earn your righteousness, to to pay my sin debt. Lord, I know that you came to die for me and do for me what I could not do. You died in my place. You paid my sin debt and you rose from the dead to reconcile me to God the Father. I believe in you, Jesus. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your precious name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to rejoice with you. I'm going to put some information on the screen here. And I just want you to reach out to us. We we want to rejoice with you and let you know you're not alone in this new journey. We want to walk with you as you begin this new relationship with God. We want to help teach you about this incredible God that you're now a part of, that you are now part of his family. And we want to bring you along with other believers to strengthen you. So if you, you prayed that prayer, or if you just have questions, maybe you didn't pray the prayer because you're still not sure, and you just want to ask somebody something. Reach out to us. You can get us by Facebook, by text, by call. Reach out and let us rejoice with you. Reach out and let us walk with you on this new journey. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. It's our prayer and our hope that everyone listening received a blessing and encouragement today. We'll pray and then that will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. You rose again for us to adopt us into your family. But Lord, more than that, all these promises are for us now. Thank you for being the God who is. Thank you for being the God that is good. And thank you for being the God that is good and that cares about us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hopefully, that one took (coughs) Whoop whoop. Are you? Okay, thank God. I was about to, I was about to kill somebody.